0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
1: Hi, I'm Haley Hubbard, a mom to three kids and wife to a touring artist and songwriter.
0: And I'm Jessica Diamond,
1: a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's in public health. And this is Meaningful Living. Every week, we're breaking down the overwhelming amount of parenting, nutrition, and lifestyle information into credible knowledge and simple tools. The Cliff Notes Guide to Feeling Confident in Your Everyday Choices. It takes a village. We're so excited to share ours with you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Happy Monday. We are really excited for today's podcast episode because today we're breaking down all the myths surrounding starting your baby on solid foods. This is something I get so many questions about from my friends and social media community, just about starting your baby on solids. Jess is my go-to for this, um, to answer all these questions. And so we thought it would be a fun and very informative episode where we could just break down the myths and answer some of the most commonly asked questions. I guess I'm just going to hand it over to you. I always love explanations of reasons behind things, so I know why I'm implementing them. So I'm going to ask you, like I always do, why does this really matter so much? I'm so excited about this episode, but before we get started, I just need to set the
0: stage of what's happening. Today has just been a case of the Mondays. I'm currently in my closet recording this episode. Bryce, as we were reading a potty book at about 7.30 this morning, he is pretending on our couch to sit on a potty. And I look down and he is just peeing all over my entire couch. (laughs) You had a Monday moment? I had a Monday moment. And it was just so cute because he was practicing like he was on a potty and it just happened to be that it was on our couch. (laughs) (laughs) Hard. <laughs> How's the couch? How are you? The couch, the couch is okay. I'm okay. I stayed uh, calm. I could laugh about it once I put him down to bed.
1: Oh my gosh. That's but, hilarious.
0: And you're a rock star. I mean, Haley, I'm looking at her. She's sitting, you know, a week after surgery.
1: <laughs> well, if it makes you feel better, I'm um, propped up by a hundred pillows in a diaper, and in a full-on bodysuit and corset. So I really can't move. <laughs> if I sound funny. That's why. This is really my absolute favorite topic
0: to talk about. Having a positive feeding relationship with your baby from the start really sets the tone for everything. I say this all the time, but having a positive relationship with food is important. We want our kids to be intuitive eaters, but also that day-to-day relationship. When your kid is in the high chair, we want that to be Pleasurable. We want that to be fun. We don't want it to be stressy. We don't I want like it to be the st- word stressy. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want it to be stressful and overwhelming. We really want it to just be nice and, and where you can bond with your kid. If you think about it, we feed our kid in the beginning when you ramp up to solids, it's one time a day. But ultimately, you ramp up in that first year to feeding them three times a day solid foods. So you're putting in them in the high chair three times in a day. And if that relationship, if that interaction is stressful and it's a food battle and you feel really stressed, your kid's going to feel stressed. And that really kind of leaks or diffuses into other things. What I found is when parents feel really confident about feeding their baby and they know what to do, the milestone becomes messy and fun and stress-free. The babies thrive because they love it. And then that really makes all of those other moments when you're not feeding them so much easier because there's less total stress in your day. You couldn't have said that more perfectly. It's true though. And and I think starting with solids, I mean, we're going to cover topics about feeding across you know the lifespan, but really starting your baby is where there are kind of the most myths. There's the most misinformation out there. And it really should be simple and straightforward. So we want to
1: answer all of those for you guys today. Well, before we start, I need to tell you that it all works really well. Everything Jess has told us, it's just transformed the eating habits in our family. And feeding Luca was just so much easier after she gave us the guidance that we really needed. She's given me all the knowledge I need to feel confident. So I know what to do and just feel good about what I'm doing just as a parent. And then it's something that Tyler and I can do together as like a team and it feels good. And we share it with whoever comes in our house, whether it's a babysitter or a nanny or a grandparent that's going to fill in for a little bit. You know, We get everyone on that same page because it's easy, it's simple. And that's what I love about it. There's just so many myths and so much misinformation out there around feeding your baby. And this is just really the foundation to which we built Meaningful Living Upon. So I'm excited. Let's go. Yeah. You know, it's been
0: so fun to watch Luca because it's been such this fun feeding experience for him. You know, he gets messy oh, and yes, <laughs> and he's just rocking it. And so it's so fun to watch him just grow with this. And now he's a toddler. I mean, about mm-hmm. like only a couple months ago, he was a baby and we were doing this, but now he's just such a competent eater and it's so fun to see him just bloom into
1: mm-hmm. that. Oh, I could watch him eat all day. It's like one of those... What do you call it? ASR. It's just (laughs) so fun to watch him eat. He loves it. And he gets messy. And, you know, we let him get messy. We're about to get to that point with Atlas. He's five months in like a week. No, he's almost five months. But I don't know what's today. He's five Uh, months. My
0: goodness. I can't believe that. That is just, well, that's going to be fun. We'll get to show everyone how we do it with Atlas too. Yeah.
1: I love that. So I'm just going to run through some of the top questions that I get. And should I just start firing away? Yeah, let's get started. When do you start solids? Number one question. This is the number one question. (laughs) The,
0: The answer is anywhere between four to six months, but you want your baby to hit certain milestones. So most babies, I should say, aren't ready until they're five or six months old. So the first milestone you want them to hit is that they can sit up with support. Meaning if they're sitting in their high chair or sitting up with some support on their back, they're not leaning one side or the other or straight forward. The second thing is, is that you want to make sure that they have good head control so that their head's not flopping forward, which would increase their risk of choking. It's just telling you that their tongue control and their head control isn't ready yet for solids. And then the third, I think the most obvious milestone is really it kind of happens overnight. All of a sudden you realize your kid becomes obsessed with your food. So they're watching you feed yourself. They watch the fork and they might even go reach for your food.
1: So when they show a a big interest in food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Atlas is just starting to do that right now. He's five months. Well, he'll be five months soon. And you can just tell when he's sitting there at dinner with us, just watching us all eat. He's like, wait. And even Olivia will be like, Atlas is saying, mommy, I want that food. (laughs) Like she sees it. You know, what's funny is always with the second or third kid, they end
0: up being already a little sooner than the first kid because the first kid's just, you're not modeling as much in front of them because you don't necessarily have as many family meals with the first kid because they're feeding at different times. But when the second or third one comes around, they're kind of put into the bunch. And so they're just exposed to it so much more.
1: Oh gosh, that's so true. I haven't thought about that. But yeah, both Olivia and Luca were six months when they started eating solids. And we just kind of waited, I guess, because I, I don't know. I guess we just waited because we wanted to make sure they were ready. Yeah. Atlas is not even five months and he's hes starting to show the a signs. lot of the signs. Yeah. I should always say that there really
0: is no rush because once you do start, you want to be consistent. That's the most important thing. And so a lot of times we're really excited to feed our kids solids and then we start doing it. We're like, whoa, this is a lot more work than I anticipated. And then you want to kind of go backwards. So really wait for those readiness cues from your baby. Mm -hmm. And their energy needs start to increase when they're about five to six months old. So it's a really nice time because that's when they start to naturally want to have more solids anyway.
1: Mm, okay. When did you start feeding Bryce?
0: I start. I started at six months. Kind of. I I knew so much going in that I knew how much work it was that I wanted to really wait for the readiness signs, and then I just said, okay, I really want to be committed that when I start, I'm consistent, and so that's
1: mm. why I waited till six months. Okay. And did you start right away with baby led weaning? Did you? How did you feed Bryce?
0: a combination. So baby led weaning, if you haven't heard of what it is, is it's just all babies around nine to 10 months old. When they develop a pincer grasp, they start eating just regular table food in little garbanzo-sized pieces. And there's some newer research that has emerged that said if you start feeding your baby table foods actually early on, that you can help improve oral motor development. And oral motor development is just a fancy word for the muscles in their mouth. Your whole mouth is made up of muscles. And so if you give your baby, instead of baby food, you give your baby table food early on, you can help build those muscles my philosophy that i teach is that it should always be baby guided or baby led. So with Bryce, i did a combination of purees and table foods. i wanted him to get used to kind of all textures and all flavors. And with Liv, i mean your experience with Liv was that you did purees with Liv. Mm-hmm.
1: We did cuz i i really didn't have the knowledge around this at all except for Katie was like, "All right, let's start it's time to start feeding solids." Yeah, we started with purees and it was a lot of work. It was like we were cooking the broccoli, then throwing it in the Vitamix and pureeing, and it was just like this whole ordeal. And it's like we're not eating pureed broccoli, so it was making this whole separate meal for her, and we were freezing it, and that was fun. And it was just like, oh, we're doing the whole baby food thing. But I'm like now looking back and and having gone through it with Luca, our second, it was just so much easier. You know, we just kind of broke down whatever meals we were having if we were having, you know lasagna or I'm trying to think like a a Mediterranean bowl. We would just give them the pieces from our deconstructed. Yeah. Deconstructed. That's the word. Exactly. Deconstructed anything. Yeah. The
0: whole idea is that in that first year, we want to expose our babies to as many flavors and textures and spices and foods as we can. The more that they're exposed to in that first year, the better their palate is throughout their entire life. And so the more that we can give them the same foods that we're eating, I think it's just naturally that we expose them to more foods and flavors then. Next question is how many meals did you start with? So this goes along the lines of you don't want to bite off more than you can chew. So I like talking about it ramping up, ramping up to solid foods. So the first month that your baby's ready, start with one meal a day. The second month, ramp it up to two meals a day. And then by the third month, ramp it up to three meals a day. That way. You're just not biting off more than you can chew. You are being consistent and your baby can start learning. In the beginning, it's so much more. It's They're getting majority of their nutrition from their milk and formula. So this is really for them to learn how to feed themselves. And so being as consistent as possible is the most important thing.
1: This is also a dumb question. And I've already forgotten. Does it change their poop at all?
0: It does change their poop. Their poop completely <laughs> changes when they start solids. So with everything in that first year, right when you feel like you're getting the hang of it or something is normal or consistent, you then add something else in and it changes. So right when you're used to their poop and you know how to handle it and you know how to you know, make sure that they're not constipated, then they start solids. And at some point, your kid will get constipated with starting solids. So your poop changes from the nice poop of formula or breast milk to a different color. And uh, most of the times it becomes they become more constipated. So the trick for constipation is that you want to make sure that you give them a P-named food. So prunes, plums, peaches, pears, anything that starts with a P and hold back banana. Unripe banana is very constipating. So a lot of times just doing those two things can help constipation so much.
1: For some reason, our kids have the opposite problem. <laughs> so I've never had to, never really had to use those, but in which we use breads, bananas exactly you just
0: you you do more more fibrous foods like bread which is kind of counterintuitive but yes to kind of just bulken up their stool so bananas breads rice those types of
1: things third question do we have to or should we introduce one food at a time or do we do multiple days in a row of that how do we do that So it used to be thought that you would do the same
0: food for multiple days in a row. So say you were doing peas, you would do peas for three days in a row, and then you would switch to the next food. You don't need to do that. You can do any food except for foods that are off limits in that first year but with the foods that you can do, you can give it in any order you want. So you can do peas at one meal, avocado at the next, sweet potato at the next. You can do whatever you want in that realm. A lot of times it ends up that you give your baby the same food a couple of days in a row, just because you've made a batch of it. So you have it on hand,
1: but you don't need to do that. What about allergy foods? Do you do that in the same day?
0: Yeah. So, so there are some high allergen foods when your baby starts. And so with those high allergen foods, the newer research says that you want to give those foods early and often. When you start solids, you want to introduce them and you want to introduce them often enough. So you don't want to start giving your baby one of the high allergen foods, you know, eggs, peanuts, any sort of nuts, dairy, fish, shellfish. You don't want to give it to them you know, at six months and then wait to give them eggs again at nine months. So you want to just make sure you're doing it frequently enough. We have a whole list in the course that'll walk you through everything on how to introduce high allergen foods. But the most important thing to remember is to do it, yes, single ingredient in the beginning, because if your baby has some sort of reaction, you want to know that it came from that food. So you don't have to decide what was causing that allergen and do it early on in the day so you have enough time to watch them throughout the day. The whole idea is introducing high allergen foods early on in their life will actually decrease their risk of
1: forming food allergies. That's so good to know.
0: And we should say with all of this, it is so important. Every baby is different. And so whether it's anything we're talking about today or high-allergen foods. It's always good to talk to your pediatrician because every baby is different. So you want to make sure whatever you do is safe for them. But this is what has worked for a majority of kids.
1: I have a question speaking about pediatricians. I've had so many friends come to me, and my own pediatrician has even told me this, to start with cereals. And I'm just wondering why that's still kind of floating around out there. Why is it important to not eat so many cereals? How often should we do cereals? Should we just not do cereals? So feeding is really
0: interesting. Nutrition and the feeding world, the information and the research is really kind of cutting edge and is ever-changing. And so a pediatrician has so much to worry about. And in typical medicine, if we think about people that aren't pediatricians, right, if you're an adult doctor, Nutrition isn't kind of intertwined with medicine as much, but in pediatrics, nutrition is a major part of it. So, your pediatrician a lot of times gives so much guidance on feeding, but what they may have learned when they were in medical school or training or from their experts throughout time, things have changed. And so, there's just newer research out there. And so, I am seeing a really big change in the pediatric front. Let's talk about baby cereals, but I'm starting to hear a lot more pediatricians telling patients that, you know, the benefits of fortified cereal, but that you don't have to start with that, but that it can be something in the baby's diet. So infant cereals, it used to be thought that you start with infant cereals and that's just that's when your baby's ready to start solids, that's what you start with. Now you can start with anything. You do not need to start with infant cereals. When you do do infant cereal, they're fortified with iron and zinc, which is nice for breastfed babies because your baby's iron and zinc stores start to decrease when they're around six months old. So the idea of fortified baby cereal was to just fortify it with extra iron and zinc to make sure that the baby is meeting those nutrient needs. You don't need baby cereal to meet those nutrient needs. You can meet them from food alone. It's just a nice little bump. The problem is, is that we really want to make sure that we stay away from any rice cereal. So any any baby product out there, if you see rice as an ingredient, we don't want fortified rice products. We don't want rice just because naturally rice is higher in arsenic. And so babies' systems are so small and immature compared to ours that that heavy metal load more negative effects on them than it does on us. So- as a rule of thumb, stay away from the rice cereals. If you're going to do a fortified cereal, you can do oatmeal, they have spelt ones, whichever you really want to do, just stay away from the rice. And I say, don't make that the main source. Do it a couple times a week to help make sure that they're meeting their nutrient needs. But there's other types of foods that you can do, such as beans and legumes and other things, Eat green leafy vegetables paired with lemon or other vitamin C source that really helps them meet their iron needs.
1: Another question I feel like I get regularly is what about food pouches? I mean, and also in our life, that's something that's been convenient when we travel. And I, of course, love them for that reason. But I know they're not great all the time. What do you think about food pouches? Yeah. So there's there are many great food pouch companies out there
0: that make great pureed food that's inside the pouch. So I inherently have no problem with the food inside the pouch. The problem with food pouches is actually the spout. So the problem is the spout inhibits oral motor development. So we talked about that a little in the beginning. So it just inhibits that muscle development. We want your baby's muscles to develop appropriately so that it helps them chew and swallow and then also speak appropriately. It helps with speech development. So using food pouches all the time doesn't really teach them how to chew and swallow and develop those, those speech skills. So what I say is in those times when you need the convenience, I mean, Haley, you guys need the convenience. If you're on an airplane or you're on a tour bus and there is you know a time that you really need it and you're time crunched and you can't have a mess everywhere, you use the actual spout. For the rest of the time, I say 80-20 rule. So 20% of the time you can use the actual spout. of the time, cut off the top and just pour that food into a bowl. And then you can feed it to your baby like a regular pureed food.
1: All right. What about, is it bad to give your baby fruit before vegetables in order to prevent them from getting a sweet tooth? What about grains? I get this question all the time. Starting our babies off
0: right is giving them the solid foundation for nutrition throughout their entire life. Fruits and vegetables are both important. And if your baby is already set up to have a preference for sweet foods. If you've ever tasted formula or breast milk, it's exceedingly sweet. They already have that preference. So it doesn't matter if you do fruits before vegetables or vegetables before fruit, you want to give your baby all of it. The only thing to think about is that you don't always want to pair a fruit with a vegetable mixed together. So, you know, something that's really common that I see is a baby does applesauce and you'll add spinach into the applesauce. And then the next day you'll add carrots into the applesauce because then they're not tasting the different flavors between the fruits and the vegetables. But you can give them in any order and both of them are great. And you don't need to be afraid of fruit. It's wonderful. It gives your baby so many vitamins and minerals. Grains is the same thing. Oh, really? Yeah. So grains is the same thing. You want you want your baby to, one, we want to help decrease gluten sensitivity and gluten intolerance. So Giving your baby gluten when they're young in that first year is important. And your babies can handle grains. And grains are very important to give yourself vitamins, minerals, fiber, everything that we talked about.
1: Back to breast milk. I didn't realize it was that sweet. I still have not tried breast milk. Did you try your breast milk? I did try my breast milk. I took a little. I thought it was I
0: know so many people have done it. I've told other people to do it because there actually is this thing where some people's breast milk if you freeze it and then you give it to your baby thereafter, some some people develop kind of a soapy taste from their breast milk and that turns babies off. And so I wanted to make sure after I froze my milk for the first time and gave it to Bryce that I didn't have that and so I tasted it. But it is sweet. Interesting. Tyler drank
1: mine, but I was like, I'm good. I think I'm good. <laughs> with fruit, going back to fruit, sorry. Olivia, this is something that Olivia loves. So if your child is obsessed with fruit, I mean, she would sit at the breakfast table and say, can I have more please? Can I have more please? Can I have more please? You know, you've shared with me about the ramekins and what to do with that, but can you share a little bit about that? Like when do you, when do you tell your child to stop? Because once they start really liking something in the, They're able to tell you more with sign language or speak. At what point is like the stopping point for that? So,
0: the first thing to say is that one of the most important things with feeding is the division of responsibility. We want to make sure that we're focusing on how we feed our babies. So much of what we talk about is what and how is honestly more important. And so, that principle basically says that parents are in charge of three tasks, which is making the menu, deciding where meals happen and the schedule, when they happen. So just being consistent day in and day out. Your child will always decide if they eat and how much. So it's not our job to get our kids to eat. So when we talk about portion sizes, one of my favorite things is that setting out more family-style meals, even if you're not eating family-style. So let's say your meal is, what's what's one of Liv's favorite fruits? Strawberries. So let's say the meal is strawberries, sweet potato, and chicken you are in charge of deciding how much of that food you make. So you fill up, let's say, a cup of strawberries, a cup of sweet potatoes, and some chicken on the side. And so your baby gets to decide how much they want out of what is served. But when the strawberries are all done, you can say, oh, you want more strawberries. There's no, We don't have any more strawberries now, but you can have as much or as little of the two other items that you have in front of them. Mm -hmm. So, so it's not that we're saying you can't have any more strawberries and the strawberries are sitting in front of them. It's more of you just decide. I mean, if you cut up an entire carton of strawberries and you have them out on the table, once they're done, they're done. So it's the same type of idea, but I should say every baby is different. And so it's our job to listen to them, not tell them how much is okay for them to eat. We really want to listen to their cues. Mm -hmm. So you feed them until they're no longer hungry. You don't want to force feed them when they're not hungry. Just really listening to their cues is the most important thing. They are so intuitive, those little bellies. Babies are born intuitive eaters. You see that with breast milk. We see that with formula. You can't overfeed your kid, right? You can't force them to drink more Mm -hmm. milk than they want. And so... And if you try, it becomes a battle. Like it's a frustrating experience that parents experience with their baby. And so when we start solid foods, because it's something that we eat, we all of a sudden feel like it's our job to get our kids to eat. It's not our job. It's our job to offer it. Mm -hmm. And they will learn how to eat what's right for their body. And if we don't disrupt that process, they turn into non-picky intuitive eaters.
1: Beautiful. (laughs) Sometimes it just doesn't seem so intuitive to actually do that. And so it's this mental training process of like, oh wait, she doesn't have to eat her whole plate. So, you know, you're like, oh, well, I cooked all this food and you're not even hungry. Like, are you serious? Realize that after, you know, they were having, it's not like they were snackers all day. We have structured meals. We have the 8 a.m., 12 p.m., 4 p.m. snack and 6 p.m. dinner. Okay. So they're not snacking all day. They must really not be hungry right now. And so that took a while to actually let it sink in. Absolutely. And I think that's Really, when we were creating the
0: Intro to Solids class, that gives you so much information. I think that when you start solids, you think like, okay, the pediatrician gave me the go ahead. It's time to start solids. But there's so much information that's important that is really simple. But once you learn it, you're starting your baby off with that right foundation. And so if you start these principles now, when you start solids, it really carries into toddlerhood and childhood and gives you that practice you need. You learn these skills you're right. It's not A lot of it isn't intuitive. It's like you have to teach yourself because society tells us one way and then we kind of have to relearn it and do it a different way for our baby. We have a lot of diet culture and there's a lot of just misinformation out there. And so it's important to feel confident as a parent where you know what the right information is so you can be consistent with your baby, which is going to be what is going to lead to a easy and fun and carefree feeding experience for both you and your child. And both are equally important.
1: Yeah, that's the goal. And it is possible. Okay, so going back to purees, another question I get a lot is, do you have to do a level one and then a level two, etc? And for those of you that don't know level one, level two, level one is like really pureed, like a smooth puree, almost like a soup, right? And then two is more of like a chunky blended. So you don't have to do level one, two, and three. It used to be thought that you
0: basically, that baby food was bland and pureed. And so what I want you to take away from the podcast today is that we don't want baby food to be bland. We really want it to be flavorful. The more flavors and textures they're exposed to, the better. And when it comes to a puree, a puree is a puree. And so you don't need to start with a very thin puree. You can start with a mash. You can start with something that's thicker, like a potato mash. Or you can do a thin puree, but you can expose them to different ones and you don't have to do it in a specific order.
1: All right. Here's another one. How big is a serving size and how much should they eat? This is so appropriate for my kids because Luca's our big eater. He could eat all day. Like there's no stopping this child. (laughs) I never know how to handle it. I'm like, okay, like here's more meatballs. I don't know. So a serving size for a baby
0: is going to be different for every single child. A serving size in the beginning, we should say when they're learning to eat, they're really not going to get a lot in their mouth. It could be that they consume 0% of what you give and that's totally fine. A successful meal is 0% or 100%. But a technical serving size is about a tablespoon of food. So that's not that much. But some babies can have 20 tablespoons of food at a meal and some babies may have half of a tablespoon at a meal. So it is variable. There's not one perfect serving size for each kid. Every kid is different. So exactly what you're doing with Luca, which is you're listening to him and listening to his cues. And something we touched on earlier, but it's really about serving food in a family style manner so that if they want you know, the meatballs are here and maybe you put out five meatballs. And when the meatballs are done, he can have as much or as little of the other items that you have, which might be cheese or spinach or something like that. And so you always want to make sure he's getting enough food, but there is an amount. You don't have to just give him endless meatballs, I should say.
1: And when you just said spinach, it reminded me of something like, even if something like spinach isn't something that you typically have in your diet, I feel like Don't be afraid to give that to your child and let your child try that and incorporate that into their lifestyle. And this is kind of the time to start experimenting and and having fun with foods. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I
0: mean, it's really stepping out of your comfort zone. Your kids are going to learn what you do, and so the more that you can think of, oh, we don't typically have kale, but I'm going to puree up some kale. I want to expose them to that flavor and that texture. The more you feed them in that first year the more you expose them to, the better their palate is throughout life. So definitely step outside your comfort zone.
1: One of my last questions, is it important to eat with your child? Um, And of course you've touched on family style meals and how important that is, but like you being present at the table. Definitely
0: family style meals are important in the sense that the more you eat with your kid, the more they learn from you. So definitely every opportunity you get, do family style meals. It teaches your kids manners. It teaches your kids to eat the same foods that you're eating. They watch you. I'm also practical. I understand that family-style meals are not possible for most families, even possibly even once a day, right? So the most you can do, the better. But when you're not having family-style meals, set it out so it's in a family-style manner. So it's not just like your kid has just the food on their plate set out so that they can start to ask for as much or as little of any of the food items that they want out there. And the other thing to do, which is one of my favorite hacks, is dinner for kids is usually earlier than the time that you're going to have dinner with your significant other. And so I always say to parents, whoever is feeding the kid at that earlier period of time, just have about a quarter of the meal with your kid so that you can still eat with your significant other later on, but you're eating with your kid the same food that they're eating. It really helps. So it takes away that pressure of having to have dinner set for everyone at the meal, and then you all sit down, but you're modeling that behavior with your kid and eating the same food they are so that they can learn.
1: So awesome. I didn't think about that. When Olivia was smaller and she started eating at those regular mealtimes, we kind of made this family decision and I feel so grateful that we could because Tyler is home quite a bit, especially now, <laughs> but that we just eat at 8 a.m., 12 p.m., and 6 p.m. And those are just our meal times now too. And I thought at first 6 p.m. was going to be so early because it, it does just feel so early. But now I actually like it. I feel like it gives my stomach a chance to settle before I go to bed and it's worked out well for us. It, it was an adjustment for sure.
0: Absolutely. And and there, you know, for some people that 6 p.m. is possible. For some people, that 6 p.m. slot or 5 30 p.m. slot might only be possible one time a week, once every other week, but any time that you can do it, do it. It'll be more enjoyable for you. It'll be more enjoyable for your kid. But I do like to say that I like to take the pressure away from it where you can still get benefits of family-style meals without everyone sitting down together. Just eat what your kid is eating with them.
1: All right, Jess, let's talk about favorite products. You're always so good about telling me what's new and and what are like the main things that you need because it's not that many, it's just a few things. But what are your favorites?
0: There are so many products out there, and there are only a couple that you really need to set your kid off right. And don't get overwhelmed with too many products. If I had to say, kind of, the top five products that you need to start your baby off right number one is a good high chair. You want a high chair where your kid can sit up, where it has good support. So they're sitting straight up. You don't want them like reclining backwards. You really want them sitting straight up, and you want there to be a foot rest. So if you've ever breastfed a baby, if you've ever seen anyone breastfeed a baby, unless they're really tight onto your chest, they don't really latch very well. And it's the same thing when it comes to feeding, when they start solids, they really want to feel secure in that high chair. So you want to make sure your high chair has a foot rest so that they can feel their feet are pressed on it and they feel secure where they're at. They'll be much more successful with feeding. And I'm sure Haley, you can talk about this, which is a splat mat and a really good bib feeding is messy. It should be messy. And so you want to just make sure that you can do what you can to contain the mess.
1: <laughs> All of our kids are messy eaters, but both of those things have come in so handy. We double bib. We do the like smock type bib and the scoop type bibs that like catch everything. So we, we double up.
0: I love the double bibbing. I do it too. And you can also just bring your kid also down to a diaper in the beginning. Sometimes the bibs, when you're first starting solids, they're just, you know, they're so big on them that you can just say, take it down to a diaper. Don't waste any clothes. Don't ruin any clothes. They will get messy. That's how it should be. Uh, They learn a lot from the mess. And so allowing them to be messy is actually will help them with that sensory exploration of food. So a mess is important. We just want to contain it. So a splat mat underneath the high chair and those bibs. The last thing I would say would be appropriate cups and silverware. You want an open lid cup. You want a straw cup. I would just start with one of each and let your baby get used to it. And then you can start adding on from there. And then you want your baby's first utensil. So we show you through the course really how to get your kid to self-feed. So when you're doing a puree, you really want to help your kid pick up that spoon on their own and self-feed themselves. And so there's a couple great, you know, first utensils out there that are flatter, that have a, you know, the handle is easier for a baby to pick up. So mm-hmm. just getting the the right utensils, the right cup and a straw cup.
1: What about unnecessary products? Because we all know there's so many of those out there. And so it's hard. It's hard to know what to get because it's kind of like flooded with a zillion products.
0: It is. There are so many unnecessary products out there in the baby world. I'm sure everyone knows that now, right? There are so many decisions and there are so many things that you don't need. With feeding, we like to keep it simple. The things that you definitely don't need and things that are actually cause more harm than good are transitional cups. So you don't need a transitional cup from a bottle to a cup. You just want an open lid and a straw cup. Any sippy cup or transitional style cup actually inhibits those muscles in your mouth from developing appropriately. So stay away from those. And then also you don't need to get, you know, there are so many straw cups out there. There are so many utensils out there, but just order about just one of those and see if you like it and then start Adding on to that. So many times I'm working with parents and they've bought, you know, seven different types of straw cups and seven different types of utensils. Just pick one, stick with it, and have your baby get used to it. And once they get used to it, you can start adding on as you need stuff, but there's no need to, you know, fill up a whole drawer before they start.
1: It's so fun and addicting too, or I guess addictive to get on Amazon or get on whatever website the taught and just start ordering all these cute things because now they're making things very cute. So it's a great reminder that we don't need it all. And honestly, when you get
0: too many products, it makes feeding way too overwhelming because then you don't even know where to start. I would say the only other thing is when to feed your baby, not the month mark, but physically during the day in the schedule. You always want to feed your baby 30 minutes to an hour after milk because the last thing you want to do is your baby come to mealtime hangry if they're too hungry, they are not going to be successful. The whole purpose of introducing solids is to let them learn how to feed themselves and learn how to do it. And so if they come too hungry to the high chair, it is going to be just an unsuccessful feeding time. And it's just not fair to them. We want to set them up for success. Majority of their nutrition is coming from breast milk or formula. And so you really want to just say, okay, I'll give them 30 minutes to an hour later. I'll put them in their high chair and give them a meal. Since we only had limited time today, we really just scratched the surface with feeding your baby. And so if you still need more or looking for more support, we recommend checking out our course. We have an entire course on feeding your baby solid foods. It's on our website. It really gives you all of everything you need to know to confidently tackle this milestone. It has details and resources and support and recipes let us know what you what questions you have. We want to answer all of your feeding mm-hmm. questions. So if there's anything that you want answered on the podcast, let us know.
1: Amazing. Jess, thank you so much. You're always so good at this. And, and I always learn so much from you every time we talk.
0: Honestly, this is my favorite subject matter to teach. There's nothing more important to me than helping raise intuitive eaters right from the start and making your life easier as a parent, right? If feeding starts off as a struggle or if you feel overwhelmed or not confident with it, it just really blends into so many other parts of your day and makes your life so much more stressful than it needs to be. So it mm-hmm. is my pleasure. This is what I love. And I really just want every parent to feel confident and know exactly how to do this so that they can focus on, I'll uh, be cheesy, but the meaningful moments of sitting down and having a family meal and not feeling so stressed about it. I get mm-hmm. parents stressed all the time over feeding, And so- really setting your kids up with a good foundation is one of the best things we can do.
1: And I mean, from personal experience back to that, from taking Jess's class years ago, it has really set our family up for success in the feeding department in so many other areas as well. And so I thank you. I thought about that last night as we were eating at the table and all three kids were at the table and we were enjoying this meal and laughing and asking about Liv's day. And I'm like, oh my gosh this is so easy. How is this easy right now? It shouldn't be this easy. Absolutely. And it's so rewarding, right? When you're
0: consistent with it, it is so rewarding to be able to sit at not having power struggles. The last thing we want is power struggles at meals. And it's so common because so much of what we're taught has changed and doing it this new way just helps you be more present and more calm and more confident. And it makes your kids so much happier. I mean, they're so happy at meals when you do it this way.
1: Guess we should end with what made you feel full this week?
0: My favorite question of the week. I would say I've been working a lot with Bryce on identifying his feelings. And it's so hard because they go from zero to a hundred so quickly. And so we've been really trying to help him identify the difference between when he's sad or mad, angry, frustrated, whatever it may be, and helping him with a tool when he's feeling that way. And what made me feel so full this week was he looked at me and he was really frustrated. He threw something on the ground and he said, mommy, Bryce is sad. And I said, oh, what are you sad over? And he was like crying and he couldn't tell me. So he wasn't ready to tell me. And he said, I need a stuffed animal. And it was just this such a rewarding moment where it's like, oh, repeating this over and over. He could identify he was sad and he could ask me what he actually needed to feel better and to calm himself down. And once he was calm, we talked through it. But I love that he could tell me that feeling and ask for a stuffed animal. It was so cute.
1: Jess, I love that. Isn't that such a cool moment when you're like, they're starting to tell me their needs and their feelings. And this is something that I didn't learn how to do until I was 30. (laughs) And they're learning now, which is so cool. I think it's the most rewarding part about parenting is, you know,
0: learning what to do. And then when you do it over and over and over and over. And once they pick it up, you're like, whoa, this works. And and they can do this. I just it felt it felt like a good mom moment.
1: Oh, that's so good. I love that. What made me feel full this week? Mine is very simple. You know, I was going off to surgery a week ago. I walked out the door, Tyler and I were just getting in the car. You know, there's nerves before, of course, going into surgery and Katie are wonderful nanny texted me and she's like, the second you closed the door, Olivia said, mommy's so beautiful. I was like, Aww. oh, I'm done. So that made me feel full for the whole week. That is
0: so cute. And what a positive thing going into surgery, thinking that in your mind.
1: Right. Thank you. Thanks for this time and all of your knowledge nuggets. Thank you guys for listening. I can't wait to talk next week. So excited. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you found something meaningful from this
0: episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We want to hear from you. Your thoughts, experiences, and anything you want us to cover. Tune in every Monday for a new episode of Meaningful Living. And if you're looking for more ways to live a meaningful life, follow us on Instagram at Meaningful Living and visit our website, MeaningfulLiving.com. Can't wait to see you next week.